What's going on? Oh, not too much. How are you, bud? You know, here with the dogs. Hanging with the dogs. Yeah. Uh, Kyle and the pups. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I'm I'm all right. I just got back from work. I'm uh, I'm real mad at myself though. I, Why? Uh, I said I'm, I'm trying to do, you know, trying to hit the gym a little bit more. I haven't gone in quite a while. I went earlier this week, and I got plans to go after we, uh, you know, wrap up this recording tonight. But goddamn, dude, I just couldn't avoid it today. Like I just I ate like a garbage lunch, and I can already tell now it's going to hit me as soon as I start moving tonight. What'd you have for lunch? Did you have Chinese? No, I had like chicken fingers. <laughs> you, you couldn't you couldn't just get grilled chicken? No, I like all right. I don't know, like do the supermarkets by you have like, you know, like it's like a big fried chicken case in uh in the supermarket where over by my job and it's like it's super cheap. You get, like a meal of it for like four bucks. Um and it's actually not bad quality. So shout out to Jewel Osco. But uh but yeah, I, I just I don't know. Like I was I was walking around outside. It's like fifty degrees. It was a little rainy, but I figure you know, it's probably should probably enjoy the weather while I got it. And yeah, I was just walking past, and I was like, "God damn it, can go for some chicken fingers right now." And I don't care if I sound you know childish or anything here. I know all of y'all motherfuckers have cravings for chicken fingers sometimes. Mine just happened to come in the middle of the workday. I mean. I don't think you're gonna find any debate there. Chicken fingers are good. I just don't know. I'm starting to question your willpower. If day one after working out you cracked, right. fucking relax. All right, like <laughs> I'm not gonna. I, I'm I. I know myself too well where I can't just 180 it all at once. You know, I can't be eating kale and saltless chicken and going to the gym every day. Like I need like right from the get. I need to ease into that. Okay, well, nobody said eat saltless chicken, you terrorist. Let's relax. <laughs> you, you could put a little bit of salt on your goddamn chicken. You I'm not in charge sure you... here, though. Like, I didn't, I wanted something. I just, you know, I was having a bland day at work. It was dragging on. I was just, I needed a little flavor to get me through the day. All right. All right. Anyway. Um, I, I got, I got nothing else, so. Literally, it's about how exciting my uh, life is. Oh, you know what? Actually, I got something else more exciting. I tried tapas for the first time last night. Oh, yeah? How did that go? Oh, my God. What'd you get? Oh, my God. We got these, like, um, I got these chorizo and, uh, it was like a steak and chorizo with, like, a melted cheese over the top. Um, that was really good. And then I had, like, uh, got fried tilapia for another, um, Good. Oh, oh, and I had this. All right, the best part of the meal. Um, I had a. I got a cocktail, and it was a pineapple. It was a Latin fusion place, like really nice, small little, you know, eight table restaurant that was in. And I got this uh, pineapple tequila drink, and it was like it tasted so good. But the best part about it, it had a chipotle ice cube in the middle. It had like it had like chili pepper. Like inside the ice cube, and then as it melted, like more of it would like kind of extract out into the drink. I just need you to back. What the fuck did you just say to me? A Chipotle ice cube? A Chipotle ice cube? Oh, like I I was floored because I had never seen it. It was awesome looking. There was like a little dent in the middle of it where I think the Chipotle like exfoliated through. I don't know. And I, it was it was. And they had like a you know a little bit of chili powder on the rim with the salt. Oh, mama! See, I can't. You know, there's people who can do these kinds of cocktails, and then there's people who cannot. And I cannot bring myself. You know, even when they make there's these certain cocktails that you you can order, and you can have like jalapeno. Yeah. In it, I'm into and that. I'm all for see, it. See, you're one of them, and I and I'm sitting here simply thinking how. I enjoy jalapenos in all my meals. I enjoy them with my chicken, with uh, just lots of lots of different things. I, I love jalapeno, but I cannot have jalapeno in my cocktail. I don't understand gotta go why to that was ever. Spanish place. It's all no, about got to go to the good place. I, I have. I just refuse to try it. I just I can't bring myself to do it. I can't. Um, we ended up 
going with a we had a little dessert after we got a nice little uh tiramisu to split with a little little bit of sponge cake in the middle and that's good. and then we uh we wanted to end off the date by going bowling so we took a took a lift over from her apartment to the uh over to the bowling alley and we walked in we went to the counter and then before i could even open my goddamn mouth they were like girl you know the I don't know. The cashier points up at the uh, at a screen above her that says "No public bowling until nine forty-five" because there was a goddamn Thanks. league there. There are forty lanes in this bowling alley, and you're telling me I could not get on one of them? There, there's forty. <laughs> there's forty lanes, and an entire league took that up. That's an incredible league, right? Like, who the fuck? Like, Unless I know there's the only like three bowling alleys left in any city you go to anymore, but. You guys need all 40 on a Wednesday in the middle of the you know, middle of January. Sure do. What else is there to do in January? Yeah. So what we ended up doing is we're like, well, her apartment was like eight blocks away from there. So it was like just justified enough to take a lift. But we're just like, all right, well, we don't want to pay for one back. So let's just walk back from here. So as we were walking after eating our tapas and our delicious tiramisu, we needed to find something to do to fill the time. So we stopped into a Wendy's and got a Frosty. You know, that reminds me, not 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 entirely the exact same situation, but a situation where I had to hit a fast food establishment to compensate for failed plans, so to speak. One time I had, a, it was Valentine's Day about three or four years ago, Goodness. and I made reservations at this really fancy Italian place. And I had gone there for my graduation from uh, high school, but... I, I remember the food being good, but I wasn't like uh, a critiquing adult yet, so I right. didn't have a real take on it. So I just remember the food was good, so I made reservations and went back. So, um, you know, I take Jesse there, and uh, this was after like a I had a rec league game, so you know I went, you know, cleaned up, went after that, and hold on, let me uh, just open the door. Oh, yeah, I hear him going. Yeah. Oh. But uh, go get out of here, Mason. So um. Yeah, we go and I remember the pricing was ridiculous, but, you know, around here, even if you pay a little bit more for Italian, they usually load up the portion. So, like, I can never finish, but I always have, like, a full lunch for the next day. So, I remember there was, like, uh, it was veal, and I very rarely get veal. You know, I I never liked the concept of it, but sometimes it was too delicious. I just had to. Yeah, this time see, I ordered veal. I don't see why you don't like the concept of veal. It's a meat like it, any other, but. It, it, uh, well, that's a story for a different day, but. Um, so I ordered the veal and they gave me these two, it was like deli meat slices and they were like the size oh, of a, no. they were like, yeah, and they were like the si size of a hockey puck, just two of them in a big ass plate. And then I asked, Oh, well, does pasta come with it? And they said, no, we can get you a side of pasta if you like the veal, mind you was $18. Okay. Shit. Yeah. So I was already mad about that. So I assume if you're going to charge me $18 for two hockey puck slices of yeah, veal, throw some fucking rotini in there. Yeah. But but no, so they I, they charged me like five bucks for the side of pasta, which I shit you not seemed like a measured tablespoon of pasta. So so we we also ordered wine. So we finished the wine. We were you know we were drinking and we didn't really eat much of anything because it was overpriced grossly. And um, yeah, we just didn't. There's a Burger. King. Yeah, sorry, I'm back. Uh, there's a Burger King um, directly next door. <laughs> And we just moseyed on over to the Burger King, got like some nuggets, some uh, mat sticks, some fries, oh, and just. Oh, was that the days when Burger King was doing mat sticks? I, I believe. Was, I think we got mat sticks. Those were weird days. I remember McDonald's had them for a while too. But anyway, but that's the whole thing. Like, honestly, honest to God, these tapas last night were delicious. But we ate. We were going through them and like the tiramisu too, and just I don't know what it was. It just didn't hit the spot. Like nothing. Like I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just gluttonous. Maybe. Yeah. All right, you want right. to do this? Yeah, let's get into it. Welcome, everybody, to the TKW Podcast. 
I'm Anthony Corbo, and today, as I do most days, I've got Kyle Maggio with me. What's up, bud? Not a whole lot. What about you? Um, I'm good. I'm good. And not so good are, I think, a lot of Knicks fans today. Um, after the Knicks have surprisingly lost another game, or I guess not surprisingly at this point, but we've lost another game against the Chicago Bulls. Um, I think that was the last meetup for the season, because that would be four games. Um, double overtime thriller. A lot went down. Uh, there was a triple-double. There was uh, a decent scoring night from KP. Uh, you were doing social for the Knicks wall last night. You were cutting up some clips. Why don't you tell me what you saw? Um, the Chicago Bulls are the greatest team in the history of basketball. Uh, I don't mean as a franchise. I mean, right now, in this present moment, in this season, I've never seen a team so dominant, um, so gritty. For the Reds this week until Monday when they trade Miritich. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable that they just mollywop the Knicks every time. I, I like the first game you're like, all right. Hold up. Mollywog? Mollywop. They got mollywopped. All right, so anyway, um, no, I mean, like, they didn't get smacked or anything, but it's like, you shouldn't be losing to the Bulls. Like, with or without Tim Hardaway Jr., with decent coaching, you should not be looking uh, losing to the Bulls. And they lost once. I'm like, all right, you know, it's the NBA. Shit happens. You lost the game, whatever, no big deal. And this was right. They actually, the first loss was the start of the Bulls winning, like, five or six in a row after Miritich came back. So I was like, all right, not a big deal. It happens. Second game, they just, I don't know what happened. It was another frustrating last second game, which you were at, I believe. I was at, yes. And, you know, yet again, they just couldn't pull it out in the end. They just stumbled. And it was so then, close. I mean, it was a missed. Really, they were getting their asses handed to them all game for that one. Uh, they were bad right. out of the gate. And then they, they came back around. It was just too, a little too little too late. But, yeah, no, I get your point. But the point is, like, the, se- the first game I chalked up to a random NBA night. The second game I chalked up to, well, this team just really for sure is not good on the road. Now you've lost two times to the Bulls on the road, one time to the Hawks, on top of the other road losses. That's what I chalked it up to. Then, after all these road games, you're back home. I know the January stretch here is just absolutely brutal. We knew it was going to be a difficult month. We talked about this for months. Um, and then they come in and... KP's on fire. They start to pull ahead. They're ahead like seven or eight for a little bit. And I think they went into the fourth quarter up six. And then they just, my God. I mean, KP had a couple off quarters. But then more, I feel like all of our frustrations with coaching were sort of on display here. Because basically it was, if KP wasn't on fire, nothing was really happening. If he wasn't just hitting turnaround shots over Lori, which he hit a bunch of, then there was nothing else in the offense. There was no, there was no movement. There was no, there was not a lot of off ball action. A lot of plays they just seemed to luck into. If KP wasn't just hitting an, an isolation turnaround shot, it was very Carmelo esque. And I don't even mean it to blame KP a hundred percent because he's sort of forced into taking a lot of these shots without Tim Hardaway there, but. It's, it's, it was just a very another frustrating game, and, and for me, it was just schematics, just coaching. Yeah, well, let me ask you this, because you know, you're mentioning it's coaching right now. Uh, Jared Jack had a quote after the game that said, this is a team that's beaten us three times on sheer will and playing hard. Um, so like on that note, we've been going after Hornacek for a couple of weeks now, and I mean we as like the collective Knicks fan base, but... How much of this is really on the coaching staff, you think? Or how much of it is just guys not playing hard and being frustrated and tired right now? Well, I mean, it's always a little of both, but it's just become, it's sort of gotten overwhelming with the coaching. Like, at first it was like, well, you know, we see KP's jogging back a little too often. That's not good, despite Hornacek's shortcomings. And then, uh, you know, then you'd see, you know, Cantor have the the last couple of weeks before he started getting benched in the fourth quarter. Same thing. You know, we would just watch him just outside of that Christmas game. He was sort of brutal to close out a lot of games. So we're just like, well, the effort's not there. Like these guys just aren't they're coming out strong. They're punching teams in the mouth. And then when they get punched back, they're not responding. And I, I just feel like it, it really I mean, it's always going to be a little bit of everything, but just 
watching like how stagnant the offense have gotten, it's it's like it's it's just keep it keeps trending more and more and more towards the coaching. As the more tired guys get, the more difficult it becomes for KP to just continue to ISO. It just gets magnified that there's just nothing going on offensively. And that's I think the most frustrating part is that when you see a play that works, like that play that Hornet sec drew up at the end of um, the first overtime to right. get KP that dunk. Like, it's not, I'm not going to say, you know, it's not going to work like that every time. You're not going to have nobody within 10 feet of KP for a dunk. It's not not every time. But when you actually see motion being run to free KP up and then it works, it infuriates you. It infuriates you that we, we, can't, we can't at least try to run this more. Because that's the thing is we're not even trying. It's funny because, like, you think that you see a play like that and you should be encouraged, but really you're just more mad than anything because you know that there's so few and far between and that even though they looked good and, you know, they executed well and it brought them to another overtime period, you know, it also could have been completely random and who knows when we're going to see that executed again. I, and the thing that bothered, I think, I saw this on display all over, you know, social, a lot of the, you know, tweets and replies and quote tweets we were getting back last night and just, you know, any of the followers um, I have in general. And everybody had the same kinds of reactions. That it, and when there's a general consensus on coaching, that's how you sort of know when the jig is up. Because, like, you know, I think uh, Brian Giberman put out that guest article for us and he had some backlash initially about, um, you know, well, Hornacek's done a pretty decent job, this, that and the other thing. And then last night, we started seeing Laurie Markkanen just hitting shot after shot. And a lot of it was in isolation. It was like they would just set him like a simple back screen and he'd flare up to the three-point line. And then he'd have an open look. Like very simple. Like an athletic seven-foot big man is who can shoot is just coming off a screen to shoot a jump shot. Hard to stop that. Right. And then so they just kept running that. And then all of a sudden, the whole timeline seemed to go, wow, man, if we could just get Chris Stapps those looks. Yeah. I mean, like... You know, it's it's kind of something, it's a weird change of pace here where I think everyone thought that marketing was going to be learning from Porzingis more going into the league and like looking at him. But I think that Porzingis can take a look at what marketing's doing over there and really take some, you know, take a little bit of a, of of inspiration from that to bring it to his own game and get him through this slump. Um, I guess kind of give me, was there a specific point in the game where you thought that the game kind of turned into his favor? Because, you know, everyone's doing this like, you know, Dallas was Dennis Smith versus Frank Nielakina. Like It was the first matchup for them. Now we have like four matchups of two heavily compared players in Porzingis and Markkanen. And, you know, it seems like Markkanen, after Porzingis came out hot, Markkanen got the better of him. Um, I, what do you, what was the tangible change that you noticed out there, I guess? It just, to, to me, the big change was that Ornisek seemed unwilling to adjust. Um, any any part of the game plan for Chris Stapps. And that's when I kind of, re- like, that's when the game started getting away from us because it, it became predictable. You know, KP already wasn't shooting well in basically this, the late second and uh, in the third quarter. I mean, he shot a little better in the fourth quarter in overtimes, but um, they just kept trotting out the same stuff. And then we, we would see Hoiberg sort of mixing it up to get uh, Mark Kanan. Like, he was you know, out in transition, he's popping up at the three-point line, he's cutting, he's running baseline, and it was like, they're doing whatever they can to get him the ball. And that's when I started to realize, like, man, like, we just keep butting our heads against the wall here. You know, they just keep force-feeding the ball to KP, like, in bad positions, and they just want him to do something with it. And he's trying, I mean, that's sort of why we've seen his numbers dip efficiency-wise, but... You know, that's when I kind of realized the game was getting out of hand. I'm like, they're making adjustments and we aren't. You know, they were putting Lori, like, for all the things that those two are similar at, Lori is not really at all a good defender in the paint or around the rim, whereas KP is extraordinary there. Now, the other side of it is that Lori can actually defend on the perimeter and Chris Tapps generally cannot. And they kept basically leaving, you know, Hornacek would leave KP out on the perimeter to basically create on his own, which is just a bad idea. He can, he shouldn't do it every time or often like he was last night. 
and they would leave Lori out on him. And Lori defended him really, really well. And instead of seeing that three or four possessions in a row and going, okay, we got to change this up. We got to switch Lori off of him. We got to, you know, just do something. They just kept giving him the ball on, on the wing or the, the top of the key and just letting him try to go to work. And I, that's when I was just like, I don't, it, it's going to basically take us hitting every shot down the stretch to win this game because there's no, there's no game plan in place to win. Yeah. Um, do you have anything to say on Frank or Jared Jack's triple double last night? Jack, I mean, Jack's been really bad, like awful the last three or four weeks. Like he's just, since the, I forgot who tweeted it. It may have been one of our guys, may not have been. Someone tweeted basically his, uh, I think it was his net rating or something since the beginning of the season until before last night's game. And he went from being like a really high positive rating the first two or three weeks to like pretty good middling the next couple weeks to not good whatsoever to really terrible coming into last night's game. And I don't want to take away from the fact that he did have a really good game last night. And despite certain blunders, most notably that one he that no look over the over his head that he threw to Beasley that went out of bounds to ice the game. You know, he was part of the reason we were in that game. You know, he really did help us get there. You know, that nice little uh, inbounds pass off of Dunn's uh, butt up and in yeah, for the floor. That was, that was a wild play right there. Yeah, but. yeah I, I mean, he, he played yesterday. He had a good game, and a triple-double is reflective of that. Like, it may be a lesser triple-double, I guess, but... If I think that's basically was just a triple double on him flashing basketball IQ. Like yeah, I mean, he, he can't do a lot of the things that a lot of guys can do on the court, but he's been around long enough to be a smart basketball player. Um, yeah, whether or not he executes on that every night is yeah. right. And Frank, Frank didn't do anything yeah. last night. He just, Silent. I mean, yeah, I mean that's sort of what we've seen is he'll have three or four games where he's kind of like building on something. He looks kind of good for a while, and then he just disappears. I, and that's what happened last night. So, don't look too much into it. But yep. As of last night, we're officially halfway through the season. We have recorded, I think, 20 episodes so far this season. So, oh, boy. Yeah, another another 20 to go, bud. Um, no, we love all of you. But anyway, um, so we're kind of in the worst stretch of the season right now. I don't think there's any debate in that. I don't think there's any debating that January is going to continue to look bad and uh, February will probably not be great either, but you know, there's, that's only what's on paper in front of us. There are still a lot of things that the Knicks can do to kind of shore up this team a little bit. And if they want to compete, compete. And if they're not looking to compete, well, there's still some other things they can do for these guys development. So, you know, now that we're 41 games in, if there is one change that you wanted to make tomorrow, what would that change be? Tim Hardaway Jr. comes back. I think we're. I think that might even be happening. Um, I mean, honestly, this, week, this week at least. But so let's say Tim Hardaway Jr. comes back and he's completely at full strength and he's gunning away from downtown. Or are we thinking? Or do we think that we have enough kind of leeway here for him to ease his way back into the game? No, I mean, he's he's gonna have to ease his way at least the first game or two. For sure, just to see where he's at. But I think that's why the coaching is so much worse, or it seems so much worse, is because this is already a very thin roster. And when you're missing the second best player on this team, and who's averaging like 18, 5, and 5, like that sucks. On a thin team, like that sucks. Like Chris Stapps can only do so much. So just looking forward to having Timmy back. Um, he's very, very impactful for this team and uh that that would be i mean that's not a, an actual um critical thinking thing that i can change but that's that's the most obvious fix yeah um 
I guess kind of in, in that same light, if I could change one thing about this team tomorrow, I would not have Michael Beasley play another minute for the rest of the season. I know that we've all had a lot of fun with Michael Beasley for the first half of the year. And I think he's a fun dude. He's a fun player to like watch out there. And I'm obviously exaggerating a little bit when I mean don't play him another minute for the rest of the season. But I'm not exaggerating when I say cut his minutes in half, at least. You know, one thing, I don't know how much, if this is necessarily attributed directly to Beasley, but I took a look today and, you know, the Knicks are still 18th in turnovers. And that's not really what I mean to say here. What I mean is that, you know, they're still 18th in turnovers, but they've outshot opponents for six times in the last seven losses that they've had. Um, you know, if anyone's gunning on this team, it's Michael Beasley. And it's obviously showing that, you know, the Knicks are getting shots up. They're out shooting their opponents. They are, you know, the amount of possessions they have in the game is not the problem that they're having right now. It's that these shots just are not going in. And, you know, a lot of that's on KP and the attention, you know, whether that's he's getting too much usage and he just can't make his shots anymore. Um, and a lot of that is on, you know, the inconsistencies of a lot of guys. We talked about Courtney Lee not being able to, you know, put in his um, put in his second half shots over uh, last week. But, um, but yeah, I would say that you want to cut down on all, as much inefficiency as you can. And I just don't see how Michael Beasley could be a positive for this team in any way really moving forward, whether they want to succeed or whether they want to lose. Yeah, I mean, they got to just shoot more threes, man. That's really what it comes like. This is also true. That's, I feel like so often with the Knicks, it's like such simple things. It's like, make, and this is what we wanted for Carmelo too, and he was a little resistant of it at times, but make KP's life easier. Run him some plays to get him the ball. So all he's got to do is just shoot. He's a good shooter. Let him shoot. Let him just cut and dunk. He's big. No one's going to stop him. Um, it, like, that's a simple ask. And, and again, this isn't that it's going to work or not, but it's a simple ask. Just try for it. Just try. And the same thing with the threes. Like, is this team loaded with, like, marksmen and, and three-point shooters? No. But you have Doug McBuckets, who's shooting a pretty good clip this year. You have Courtney Lee. When Timmy's there, I mean, he's not really shooting all that well this season, but he's a threat at least. So you can get, I mean, KP shoots threes. We know this if they run him more action to get out there. Like you have the guys that are capable of shooting. Now, these aren't like the top, these these aren't elite shooters by any means, but you have guys who can do it and just shoot them. And, and it frustrates me more because Hornacek ran a system and phoenix that was just guards running up and down the floor getting lots of threes up like it was an extension of almost old world phoenix and they they do none of that they do none of that here i, I don't for the life of me i cannot understand like it, how drastic of, of a difference it is it's it's so stark how few how few threes they shoot it's incredible yeah, I mean, they're still... I don't think that they're last in the league anymore. I think they've moved up like two spots, but yeah, they are... Without without Timmy, they're shooting... I saw they're shooting 18 threes a game. With Timmy, it's not... It, this isn't like a dramatic increase, but they were shooting 23 with Timmy, 18 without Timmy. That's, so, I mean, that is significant. It's I mean, pretty significant. I mean, it's not like wild, but it's it's a but that's pretty noticeable to, gap. That's enough to swing a game. That's enough for this team to be over 500 right now. It, it, if and if there was a few more threes that went down, if there was a few more shots that fired off, and there was a, a lot of close games that the Knicks have lost this season, that could be and, the difference in a lot of them. And on top of that, and on top of that, um, just simply, uh, I'm looking at um, JB. He put this tweet up a few hours ago, just to my Timmy Hardaway point before, so we can just sort of cap this. With Tim Hardaway Jr., the Knicks had an O rating. This is for 21 games. They've had an O rating of uh, 107.6, a D rating of uh, 104.8. I think that was. I think that was at home, and then okay. without Tim Hardaway, it was O rating of 102, D rating of 105, and then. Um, I think for on the road, it was O rating of 101.3, D rating of 107.7. And then without, that was with Hardaway on the road. And then without Hardaway on the road, it was 98 for the O rating and 107.5. Yikes. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's pretty drastic. And I don't think anyone could have seen it be that drastic. But, I mean, now that you've seen this for, I mean, a lot of games without Timmy, I, I don't know. It seems to have impacted everything. Think about you know, this. Three-point shooting's down, offense is down, defense is down. It's terrible. The the Knicks have played half their season at this point without Tim Hardaway Jr. I mean, it's just, it's wild because, you know, especially he's your number two option. You know, he's playing a huge role on this team. He's supposed to occupy a lot of this team's, you know, space and ball possessions and everything like that. And, you know, to try to say, you know, you know, we got something good coming out of training camp here. Let's roll with it. And then you lose a guy for literally half your season now. It's, you know, how do you build around that? You know, who who's the blame? Who's not going to get frustrated in that situation? But, you know, he should be back. They said that he's, uh, was he, uh, on his second practice now? He's having full contact drills. Um, yeah. yeah, so I think he'll hopefully, be back this weekend. Yeah, hopefully we see him back this weekend. And then hopefully so, it doesn't take him too long to get in there. So let's say he comes back this weekend. Now, you know, on, on our docket here, we have what our expectations are for the rest of the season. So, Saying, let's say he comes back and he doesn't miss significant time the rest of the year. A game here and there, sure, but not significant time the rest of the year. What is what are your expectations for this team? Because they're currently in tenth place right now in the East, so they're not by any means out of the playoff race somehow after this this just drop in production. But what do you see happening with Timmy back? I mean. It's it's so hard to predict because it's so hard to know how the team is going to handle Timmy being back, you know, like I, I don't know what his minutes restriction is going to look like when he gets back. I don't know, you know, how everyone else's minutes get affected by that. What's Courtney Lee's minutes look like from there? What's Beasley's minutes look like from there? Um, You know, he is a big piece that you have to fit in there. So I don't expect it all to go um, necessarily perfectly from the get. I could see them taking about. 10 games to work him back in here. And then, you know, so you, you figure probably you maybe win three of those, four of those. So I don't know. There were what, three, four games below four, uh, 500 right now? I think they're three under. Three under? Yeah, I believe so. So, you know, it's tough, but I could see them finishing at 500. Uh, I more expect them to finish probably, uh, you're looking at about five games under 500. Okay, and you think that's good enough to get him in one of the last spots, or they just miss? You know, again, that's one of those things that's just so hard to call because I don't know what's going to happen with some of these lower tier, uh, you know, guys out east. Like, who knows what's going to go on with Philly over the next couple of weeks? You know, they could either be, go on a monumental run or they could completely flounder. It's and you know, you got other teams up in that mix too. You see, like Miami's going on a crazy run right now. Um, so I, it's so hard to call, but I would, I. I want to see them. I really, really want to see them land somewhere at seven or eight. I don't see them getting higher than seven, but I could realistically see them sticking around the tenth place position for the rest of the year. Yeah, I mean, because incredibly, they're only two games. They're only two games out of uh, eighth place. They're three and a half out of seventh. What's, well, the, bottom, and, what's the bottom of the uh, standings look like right now? The uh, sixth and seventh is a tie between Milwaukee and Detroit at 22 and 18. Okay. Eighth is Indiana at 21 and 20. Uh, Philly's 19 and 20, and they're in ninth, and we're 19 and 22 and in 10th. I, I think I feel pretty confident saying that this, these top 10 teams are probably going to be there the rest of the year because Charlotte looks like they're imploding. Um and then Brooklyn, Chicago, the Magic, and Atlanta are all just awful. And I, I, I see Detroit falling a little bit more. I'm not, after last season, I'm not writing Miami off yet. Um, I think I, they might be the outside threat. I wrote Miami off at the beginning of the season. And then I always forget how good Spolster is. And he has a team. I mean, Deion Waiters, he turned into a damn good player last year. And Deion Waiters is not missing the rest of the year. He hasn't even played, I don't think, outside of the first week or two of this season. And... They're twenty four and seventeen. So he I'm just—is he out the rest of the year? Yeah, he, they announced oh it a couple God. hours ago. Yeah. Oh so, man, I, I I dropped him like three weeks ago. I don't recall uh, what happened since then, but that's not. Yeah. True. But no, I, I mean I agree. I, I think if anything, you know, 
I think Detroit is going to keep sliding. I, I don't think that they're bad. I think that they're for easily a better team than the Knicks. But, you know, they started off hot. They were second place uh, most of the season. And then they just started, like, slowly, de- you know, declining. Yeah, and they just have so many, like, problems with fit there. I think is their biggest thing, kind of an evergreen statement. But and and also the other question mark is, and you know we there's there's question marks for all these bottom tier teams, and by bottom tier I mean strictly Detroit, Indiana, Philly, and New York, because I assume that Milwaukee is gonna you know at some point duke it out with the other top teams. But um, Indiana has you know the the whole you know the the guys that came over from Oklahoma City and Sabonis Oladipo, who's been, you know, a most improved player candidate. Some say MVP. I think that's a little carried away, but most uh, MVP improved candidate? for sure. Yeah, I saw some people talking about. Here. Yeah, yeah. And look, I, I'm, I've been ripping into people. Oladipo's no, no, no. MVP. Listen, listen. I've been oh, ripping, I know it's not you. I've been ripping into people because I've been right about Victor Oladipo, especially Trey. I, I love Trey, but I rooted for Victor. I was like, hey, I would take him in a trade for Melo before he got traded. And I got told that he was bad. And I was like, I don't think he's bad. I just think he's not had the right opportunity. Yeah, and then, very well-deserving you know, MIP candidate. Yeah, yeah. So so that that is fine. That is fine. He's He could, he, he could win that. I Easily. mean, he's up against a couple other guys. KP might be one of them, but he's very, very deserving. I would give it to him. But, but anyway, so can Oladipo keep this up the rest of the year? Because they were a middle to top team in the not a top top, but they were like in that four, five, six range, and now they're down at eight midway through the year. So, are they going to keep sliding? Is Oladipo going to keep this up the whole year? Is Sabonis going to keep up what he was doing the whole year? Turner's often injured now. Is Turner going to be able to play? A lot of question marks. Detroit. I just think some. I haven't looked too much into Detroit, so I'm not going to speculate too much. They've been solid for most of the year. I'll leave it at that. And then Philly has the, a lot of rookies, a lot of youth, and a lot of health concerns. So you mix that with the Knicks, who are also very thin, uh, a lot of youth, and a lot of health concerns with KP and with Timmy. This really could could go almost any direction. But I think those last four are going to stay where they're at and just sort of mix it up a little bit. You know, one last thing I wanted to get on here about the rest of the season, and really this kind of extends to the rest of the career, is, uh, you know, the Ringers' Kevin O'Connor had a piece that came out today uh, kind of detailing poor Zingas's. Now, I don't want to say, let's say for the last two years, he's had this, you know, thing where he comes out of the gate really hot, and then, you know, around December, January, he's slumping. He's in this or that, and they're trying to figure out what it is that he's going through. Um and it seemed like uh, O'Connor was really big on saying that it's uh, it's it's injuries more than anything. And I kind of had a hard time digging into that because, you know, he also mentioned that KP has only missed like 30 games in his career, uh, even though it's these little nagging injuries. And what he was saying primarily is that, you know, the biggest problem with Porzingis is that he plays through his injuries. And that's what's really causing his inefficiency right now. But really, I think that t- I... I'm of the opinion that Tim Hardaway Jr.'s injury has had much more of an effect on KP's season than um, than any injury that KP himself has suffered. Because now, you know, Chris Ops' usage rate is sky high. He's, you know, over 30 in usage rate right now, he was also saying in the article. Um, so I, I don't know. Where, I want to know where you what do you think about that, whether it's more injuries or uses that we should be concerned about with KP. This is... I'm not going to go on like a rant, but... This is sort of what bothers me sometimes or why guys get questioned for if they watch the games. And I've honest to God, never in my life been a guy that's been like, you don't watch the games because I, I hate that. I hate that. Like to some degree, we watch the games, you know, so I hate I've always hated that. But this is the kind of article where I question if Kevin O'Connor is watching the games and if he's watching enough of the games, especially during this slide to know what's actually happening here. And cause, and I say this because there's another article that came out a couple weeks ago like this, too, about how KP's forcing the issue. And I feel like had you watched the entire season and seen how this thing is played out offensively. And this isn't to say like KP has like 
amazing shot selection by any stretch. It's something he has to improve on. But it ignores a lot of important context in the sense that you downplay the importance of Chris that, uh, of Timmy and what that meant for the team as a whole and how the team benefiting as a whole benefits Chris Stapps and the looks he gets and how efficient he can be. His usage goes down. His looks get better. And, you know, you sort of focus on these little sort of non-stories. You know, this is the NBA. Guys all have nagging injuries. Guys all have things that they're going to play through. He's a 22-year-old sort of a, a freak of nature the way he's built. He's 7'3". He's fast. He's long. He's still grown into his body. He's still trying to fill out. And this is the first year where, in period where he's been asked to do a lot. So I just think it ignores like the two important con- the, you know parts of the context where one this is his first real season being a number one option. Last year he was really the third fiddle to um, Carmelo and Derrick Rose, and the first year he took a backseat to Carmelo. And so, this is, that obviously takes a lot of growing into. Right, you know, that's it, kind of the thing that he I think that um, he can pull from marketing. Like I was saying earlier in the pod that. You know, this is, I don't really know if you could classify him directly as a first option, but the Bulls would certainly like to make Laurie Markin in their first option. So there's right. a lot of sets being run for him like that. And I don't know, I think that maybe there's something that Chris Sapps can learn there and just learning how, you know, to adapt to being the center of attention at all times. Yeah. And I mean, again, this isn't to say, you know, KP is absolved of like any of the blame because there's lots that he has to work on. But I just find it weird how there's this focus sort of of trying to make him out to be like Carmelo 2.0 when I'm confused how we got there. And and even with the injuries, he's missed 30 games in his entire career. So how did we get here? You know, and a lot of that, too, with those 30 games was him missing more time maybe than needed because games were meaningless or they knew he was going to be the future. So it's like I I don't I don't see how we got to this point where we're questioning whether a guy averaging damn near 25 and eight is. In, in his first season as a number one option is being questioned as whether you can build around him, you know, whether or not he's your one or two to win you a title at some point, he's some sort of a franchise cornerstone. I, I don't get how that's a debatable thing Say, you know, saying he has to be the best player on a championship team, I think is a different debate, but you know, saying he's a cornerstone shouldn't be um, controversial. And I feel like that's where we've gotten to with this, with this Kevin O'Connor article is, can he be uh, a cornerstone if he's, you know, not shooting well, if he's injured? If he, and it, it just sort of rubbed me the wrong way. I don't quite no, I, get I how we got there. Because 22-year-old Chris Porzingis doesn't need to be a franchise cornerstone. Like, he is as much of a franchise cornerstone as the New York Knicks need right now, by far and away. Like, now it's on the team and it's on him to see over the next, you know, couple of years how much he's going to grow. You know, what parts of his game actually end up getting filled in versus what will be his weaknesses like any player have. Um, you know, and then it's on the team, too. You have to recognize, OK, you know, Chris Stops is 24, 25 years old now. Here's what we're seeing him not shore up. Let's go get guys to surround him or let's go get the, you know, the other player who's going to be able to take this team to new heights. Like, it doesn't have to be all on Chris Stops and we shouldn't be trying to put it all on Chris Stops because any way you want to slice it. He's an invaluable member of this organization and of this team on the court, off the court, and all that. Like, like to your point, like had he bit like uh, with Laurie, you know, the Bulls want him to be the number one option. That team is barren for talent. They're just letting him run. You know, they're running plays for him, letting you know, mixing it up to get good looks for him, do whatever he's got to do. And they didn't do that for KP for two years. This is the first real year that they're doing. And they're not even running plays for him this year, for the most part. But this is is the first real season that they're just letting him be the number one option. So this is why I'm not sure if we can really question these things until we really know what he's going to be as a number one option. Let let this first season or two play out where he gets his feet wet, he learns, he gets used to things, he adjusts. And then once he's like 24, okay, maybe now we know what he is as he's about to enter, you know, Starting during his prime, we can start to build around him the right way. But like 20 games into his first season of being, you know, in not 20 games, sorry, 40 some odd games into him being the number one option without uh, his second most important player for half of that. I don't think that 
these are, are proper, uh, properly summing up what's happening here. So speaking of developing talent, let's just move on into our last point of the night. Um, I feel kind of foolish after our last podcast. You know, we were talking talking the praises of Trey Burke or, you know, the fact that he's getting called up. And, you know, it seemed like it was pretty imminent from what we were hearing. And, you know, maybe we jumped the gun a little bit because he's still not with the team. Um, I, you know, it's interesting because I was thinking after seeing Frankie play last night and, you know, kind of the, you know, I know it's obviously his first season playing this many games and it's such a weird situation he's in with this team and like just developing as a 19 year old rookie in general when the team wants you to be so much more from the get is uh is tough but you know if you bring Trey Burke into the lineup right now does he push uh Neil Keenan into developing into a better player from the get since he'll have a little bit of competition against him or when, when do you think he's going to get up here and what do, what do you see as being his role if he's not going to be a bench warmer. I have trouble thinking he's going to be anything but a bench warmer. I think we talked. You don't we, think don't he can grab. Because you don't think he can get it. Like the Knicks have so, so many nights where Jack is off and Frank's giving you nothing. You don't think he can get into the game then and see if there's opportunities I, to prove himself. I think I think he can get a couple of opportunities, but I don't think it's going to be anything consistent. I, I think it's almost going to be. Like the way you see Billy, unfortunately, like you'll see him one game, maybe a little bit more, you know, you'll see him a couple of games and then you don't see him for a couple more. I just don't. And it's this isn't to downplay what he's done in the G League because it's been phenomenal. But that's the G League. And as we touched on la- the last part, it's, it's hard to do at the NBA level. So I don't know that he can really come in and do a whole lot. I mean, no matter which way you slice it, it's an improvement over having Ramon Sessions on the team. I think that everybody can agree on. He's a younger, better version of whatever Ramon Sessions wanted to be. Um, not that he's a version of Ramon Sessions, but uh, in terms right, of filling that role. Right, exactly. So, so I, I don't know. I mean, just having him on the team is going to help to some degree. I don't know what that degree is. I'd like for him to actually be impactful because we're so fucking shallow at the point guard position, you know, we're, we're stuck between kind of guards in general, even. Yeah. I mean, we're stuck, especially with the uh, point guards. We have like, you know, both extremes. We have the oldest guy in the, in the world right now with Jared Jack starting. And then we have the youngest guy with, you know, Frankie, I think he's the youngest kid in the league or, you know, one of the youngest he's second. There's one guy who's like days younger than him or something. Yeah. So, I mean, he's essentially the youngest, you know, one of the youngest kids in the league. And, um, you know, yeah, there, there's nothing in between. So maybe yeah, Burke that's can the middle ground that's that. missing. Yep. So hopefully he can. Honestly, he's got he. The way that this works out, that nobody cares about the results if it's win or, wins or losses, is if Burke comes in, he plays better than Jack, and he eats into Jack's minutes and doesn't eat into KP's uh into Frankie's minutes. And I think if that happens. We could lose a bunch of games if we just see that Burke is a player who's impactful to some degree. He's helping out. You know, they just aren't winning games for whatever reason. I don't think people would care so long as Frankie keeps playing. Random thought that popped into my head right here. If the Knicks were to sign him to a contract right now, whether it be a 10 game or, you know, the entire season or whatever, could they trade him? Oh, I do not know. Um I, I I don't I don't I don't think I, they could. I I think but that would be such an interesting strategy if they could you know use I don't him think, as, as what you don't think what I, I think on a I may be very wrong so people can correct me on this tomorrow or whenever I'll probably ask this later on uh, on Twitter tonight but I think if he's on a ten day or I, I feel like because I know teams right now he's not. He can get signed by anybody. Any NBA team can come in and sign him. I, I know that much. Mm. Um, I don't know that if I, maybe if he's on a 10 day, he's still, you know, he can be. I don't think he can be traded, but maybe teams can sign him after his 10 day with the Knicks or um, uh, it's inter- it seems I, like I, I feel you- like there's a grace period with the contract where you can't get traded. Any guaranteed contract, I feel like it's it's right. 30 or 45 days. Right. At a right, minimum. right. 
Yeah, I, I, I know it would just be an interesting move if even if it's like a, you know, an under the table type thing. But, you know, it'd be an interesting move if like they're essentially using Trey Burke as the other piece to go along with Billy to get them, you know, the first round pick that we've been talking about or that young player. Um, so I don't know. I, I doubt they could. If anyone knows the answer, just at the next wall and uh, let us know because that's interesting. Um, maybe JB knows. Yeah, I was going to say I'll probably just ask JB. Um. Well, anyway, anything else? Uh, anything else to talk about tonight? No, not particularly. I think we got it. I think we did too. So, we'll uh, we'll wrap things up here. Thanks everyone for listening. Please remember to go and give us a rating, give us a review, uh, give us a you know, subscribe if you don't already. Uh, tell your friends about us. Retweet the pods, all that good stuff. Uh, listen to Off the Wall, our new podcast uh, that we launched through our network with Jared Mintz and uh, Joseph Nardone. So they're cool dudes. I am producing it and we're putting a lot of work into it. So uh, it would be really cool to have you guys take a listen and see if you like it. We, and, we need mu- we need more music. I listened to the Off the, <laughs> off the Wall, I think, yesterday. And uh, they had a lot of, a lot of good music. We, who, who is the musician? What the uh the theme song guy? Yeah, who's the yeah? May Mason uh, also liked it. I I gotta find his name. I don't know off the top of my head. I will. Uh, Music we'll, was good. Yeah, it, you it, guys it, did a good job on that. I was I was happy about that when I was listening. Yeah, you know we uh we've been trying to throw more music across the board and everywhere. So if you guys like uh like any of the music that you've been hearing in the TKW podcast lately as well, uh, all of those artists are. Uh, linked right into the bio for every episode so check them out they've all got uh pretty good libraries um i just discovered we're doing some searching and i think you could uh yeah there's a lot of places to get into with them so so listen to all those good artists uh listen to off the wall listen to more of the tkw podcast of course uh head to the nextwall.com uh like uh I almost called you Brian. Like Kyle was saying earlier in the podcast, the Brian fuck is Brian. Brian, I was going to say Brian Gaberman. Oh, okay. He, he put the guest post <laughs> up on the site talking about Hornet Sec. It's a good read. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I, I think that's that's pretty much all the plugging we got to do. Um, so thanks everyone for listening. Thanks Kyle for hanging out, and I'll talk to you later. All right, man. Take it easy. Thank you.